I have two more Sundays on first things because first things matter. Jesus, who was God wrapped in flesh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, gave us a priority in life. He said, I want you to seek first the kingdom. Uh, Christianity was designed to work best when God is first. Amen? So today we're going to read this, and I'm going to talk to you about the kingdom of God and the relationships in your life. I'm going to call the message, It Matters Who You Run With. No, 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 don't leave yet. No, no, I'm not just kidding. (laughs) It matters who you run with. Now, the best friend you'll ever have is vertical. Amen? Nobody wants your best like Jesus Christ. But we're going to talk horizontal today. Now, let's, let's read. You ready? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Father, thank you. For your blessing on this word yet again. Thank you that we're learning to prioritize the kingdom of God in our lives. And Lord, it can only bring maximum blessing, maximum fruitfulness, maximum victory. And I pray that your word will be anointed by the Spirit of God. I cannot do this, Lord, without you. I must have your anointing. And Lord, not only do I need the anointing to speak, but we need the anointing to hear really hear and to see and to interpret and understand with our hearts. So I pray the word goes deep today. I pray that it changes us today. I pray that it rearranges us today. Lord, you have our permission to mess with our stuff in the name of Jesus. Now you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, I receive your word. Change me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Tell your neighbors, first things first, first things first, first things first. Amen. Now, I want to read um, the second half of Matthew 6, 33 out of the Living Bible. The second half. And, and he will give them, seek first the kingdom of God, and he will give them, that is, the good things you need to you. He will give the good things you need to you if you give him first place in your life and live as he wants you to. So that just couldn't be more clear. Now, uh, we've talked about several aspects to this verse. I've dealt with putting God first. That was the first message, just putting God first. He's to be first. Then the second message, I explained what the kingdom of God actually is. How can you seek something if you don't know what it is? The kingdom of God is wherever the will of God is done. And then third, I dealt with three hindrances that the enemy uses or just life uses to hinder us from seeking first the kingdom of God. It's in the parable of the sower that Jesus shared with us. And then the fourth thing, last time I talked about the rewards for putting God first because he is a rewarder. Can you say that with me? He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So our God rewards people with various and sundry blessings and honors and promotions and, and things that money can't buy, when we seek him earnestly. But now it comes down to this. We're going to have to also put him first in the, in the relationships of our life. Let me, let me give you a principle. There is simply no way we can put the kingdom of God first if we're not putting him first in our relationships. 
Now, in the first service, if that's any indication of this one, it was real quiet. I told them I could, I could hear a pin drop on a shag carpet in here. It was real quiet because this does mess with our stuff because we're all about relationships. But I, I, I'm going to, listen, it's going to end strong and it's going to be a blessing to you. This is so important what we're sharing. Now, let me read that fact again. There's no way you can put the kingdom of God first if you're not putting him first in your relationships. The Bible has a whole lot to say about who comes into our life and who goes out of our life. Sometimes it's every bit as much a blessing by those who go out as those who come in. Sometimes you're blessed by those who come in, and sometimes you are blessed by those who go out. I am not talking about your marriage. Let me be clear. That's, a, that's another subject and message altogether. But have you ever noticed that sometimes when God takes somebody out, all of a sudden there's peace and joy and freedom? And then when he brings some people in, we are blessed like we were never blessed before. Because God is a God of relationships. Now listen, when God wants to bless you, he puts a person in your life. Listen to me now. But when when the devil wants to destroy you, he puts a person in your life. When God wants to bless you, he brings somebody into your life. The Bible, from, from cover to cover, shows us God using people in other people's lives to bless them. But we also see that when Satan wanted to destroy someone adversely, when he wanted to affect somebody adversely for God, he put a person in their life. Jesus talked about the tares that are sown right next to the wheat. That's talking about relationship. Because that tear is growing up right next to the wheat. So that's talking about relationship. Proverbs 12, 26 tells you and me what God thinks about relationships. The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Now notice, that's a relationship verse. And he's, he's saying that friendship is a choice. It begins as a choice. The righteous should choose his friends carefully. So at the beginning, whoever we let in to our lives is a choice on our part. And, and, and he's telling us here, whoever you let in, you need to be wise. You need to be careful. You need to be scrutinizing. You need to profile. If I can use a buzzword from today's culture, we're told to never profile, and that is stupid. Because the birds out in my backyard profile every time they see a hawk. Profile just means be scrutinizing. Don't be dumb about who you let into your life. Now, he gives a reason why. He says, because the way of the wicked will lead the righteous astray. So one of the most important things in life is who your friends are. God cares about this because nobody is going to influence you next to your spouse if you're married like a friend. And sometimes a friend can even influence you more than your spouse, can come between you and your spouse. I'm going to give you a a little suggestion here. I'll tell you what I could do if I sat down and talked to you. I could tell you pretty much where you're going to be five years from now based on your answer to two things. What is the strength of your commitment to God and who are your friends? I can make a pretty good prediction about where you're going to be spiritually five years from now. You tell me how strong your commitment to God is and tell me who you're running with. And those are huge indicators of your future. 
I have observed that one of the greatest indicators in existence of the temperature of somebody's spiritual walk is the friends they choose. Because birds of a feather really do flock together. Rarely are we going to run with somebody all the time who isn't like us. Nobody wants to do that. Have you ever seen vultures hanging around with doves? Have you ever seen eagles flying with sparrows? No, sparrows are always way down here. Eagles are way up here. They are two completely different birds. And the Bible is going to show us today that so are believers. Believers are the eagles. And they fly above. They are to be people of vision, people of of soaring victory. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those that wait upon the Lord. So the Bible likens believers to eagles that soar high above and have a far greater grasp and vision and understanding of things than the little sparrows flying between bushes. So this is why the Christian is exhorted to to pick your friends wisely. Now let me tell you what the Bible assumes. The Bible assumes that when a person is changed by Christ, when somebody comes to Jesus and they become born again, that their relationships are going to change also. Let me read 1 Peter 4, verse 2 to 4. Peter says to new believers, you have spent enough time in the past doing what ungodly people choose to do. Then he delineates, you lived a wild life. You longed for evil things. You got drunk. You smoke pot. Oh, I, I missed that. I thought that was in there. If he was alive today, he would have included that. <laughs> i just keep you awake. I want to be sure you're listening. In the first service, somebody said amen. Now, look what he says. The Lord hates that. Do you get that? The Lord hates that. The getting drunk, the going to wild parties. He says the Lord hates that. And then he goes on. Ungodly people think that it's strange when you, the former partier, no longer join them in what they do. I want you to notice the last few words. You no longer join them in what they do. So isn't that just a clear cutting away that is indicated in this verse of former relationships that are not honoring to God. See, one of the first things God will do with a new believer is change your relationships because you will never fly higher than who you're running with. You will never grow deeper than who you're running with. You will never, when I got saved, I had been with a very rough crowd. I'd been with a bunch of druggies, a bunch of hippies, and, and some thugs who just went around beating people up. And that was who I ran with. But when I got saved, I immediately knew I can't run with them anymore. I can't go do what they do. I'm going to have to make a drastic change and, 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 and find new friends who are godly, who will help me in my walk and won't hinder me and pull me down because you will never get free as long as you hang with the old crowd. You've got to come out from that spider web. You have got to break free of those chains and begin to run people with people who affirm your new life. And here's what I found. I didn't have to leave them. All I had to do was talk Jesus up, and they left me. 
<laughs> Matter of fact, they couldn't find the exit door fast enough when I went and started really talking Jesus up. So if you just start lifting Jesus up, your, your old friends will take care of themselves. Now, I think one of the best ways to know if you're in a wrong or a right relationship is by asking one simple question. Since I've been in this relationship or running with this group or running with this person, am I spiritually stronger or spiritually weaker than before? Has this relationship made me sharper spiritually or has it made me duller? Am I doing better or worse? Am I having a compromise in order to run with them or are they totally affirming 110% my hot pursuit of Jesus Christ? If you say, well, I've been stronger since being in this relationship, you're in a godly relationship. And I'm going to talk about that at the close of this uh, message. But if you're weaker, you may need to consider putting the kingdom of God first in that relationship. Now, let me talk to you about two kinds of relationships that every Christian is going to experience. Everybody in this room is in both of these. So let me deal with the first one. First, there are acquaintance relationships. Now, an acquaintance is a person with whom you have only surface, casual contact, like a neighbor, somebody at work, somebody on a sports team with you. You know, society, social things are bringing the two of you together. And it's totally surface. It's totally casual. There isn't anything deep about it. You just know who they are. They know who you are. When you see them, you shoot the breeze, chew the fat. It's no big deal. Now, let me tell you something about acquaintance relationships and the way God wants to use them. The Bible never one time forbids the believer from having acquaintance relationships with the lost. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you boldly today, you ought to have acquaintance relationships with the lost. God didn't save you to put you into a protective bubble until Jesus comes. You know, it's not us against them. It's not we're in one world and they're in another. Now, in some ways, that's true. But in another way, it's not true. Jesus said, go into the world and preach the gospel. He didn't say, stay in a little church bubble and talk church talk and never get out there and talk to anybody lost. And I'll tell you why. Our role model, the ultimate role model we've got, the Lord Jesus Christ, did not do that. He had acquaintance relationships with the lost. And that's what they jumped on him about. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were always accusing him uh, for getting around sinners and gasp eating with them. Listen to what it says, Mark 2, 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and eating with tax collectors, they asked his disciples, now you've got to understand these Pharisees, uh, if it rained, they drowned because their nose was always in the air. They were snooty, they were condescending, they were better than you, they were, they were arrogant, they were everything that turns you off to people. And, and they, with their noses in the air and, and looking down on Jesus, they said, well, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? What's the matter with him? Doesn't he know we're better than them? And verse 17, Jesus heard it 
And Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus talked with the lost. He ate with the lost. He went to the homes of the lost. But notice, he never went with them in their sinful activities. It was always with an evangelistic motive. He said, I have not come to call the righteous. You want to know why I'm eating with them? Because I have come to call sinners to repentance. And right there, he's letting us in on why he's eating with them, why he's talking with them, why he's spending time with them. Because I've come to call the, right, or the sinners to repentance, and I'm, I'm with them and conversing with them, spending time with them, so that I can influence them over towards me. He had an evangelistic motive. I talk with non-Christians all the time. I have a wallet full of cards that I hand out. That's my little way in. And when I get around lost people, I don't care if I'm in a car dealership. I don't care if I'm in a restaurant. I don't care if it's a little waitress who's, who's helping me. Um, I, I will look for a way to say something. And I will look for a way to talk to them. I go online. I don't go online to chatter with fools. I go online to talk to people who are lost about Jesus, to debate with them and persuade them and influence them. I, I, I'm not in a church bubble. I'm not over here and they're over there. I am, I am weaponized for the kingdom of God, and I intend to get out there and win people to Jesus, and you have been weaponized with life and with his name and with your testimony and with the power of God and the anointing of God so that when you go out there, you are light sent into the darkness. All right? If they come over to my house to work on something, they're doomed because I've already got my cards on the shelf. And if it's a plumber, if it's an electrician, I don't care who it is, I'm going to talk to them about Jesus. I've had Jewish people come over. I, I had a Jewish guy come over one day, totally 100% Jewish, Hebrew, a total atheist, and, and, and I called him to fix my garage door opener. You never saw anybody try to fix a garage door opener faster because I got out there and began to talk to him about Jesus. Before I know it, he's not working on it, and we're sitting there just sharing You say, well, Jeff, what if they ask me a question I don't know? Oh, that's a major tragedy. You don't have to know everything. You've got a testimony. You've got a testimony. You saw something. You felt something. You experienced something. You know somebody. Go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So we're to have... Uh, we're to have acquaintance relationships with the lost. We just don't go where they go. We don't do what they do. Now, the second kind of relationship is close friendships. Close friendships, I got to include here boyfriends, girlfriends, girlfriends, boyfriends, boyfriends, girlfriends. Romance. I got to include that here because it's a close friendship relationship. Now, here's the deal with close friendships and relationships. You open your soul to that person. You're transparent with them. This is not acquaintance. This is much, much deeper. And you become emotionally invested in them. And when you become emotionally invested in them, something happens. Here's what happens. Close friendships and relationships are the prime setting where values and morals and worldviews and lifestyles 
are passed from one to the other. You can't escape it. You can't avoid that. Because when somebody comes in close and they become a part of you and you begin to develop strong affection, be it a, be it a, a same gender friendship, an opposite gender romance, it doesn't matter. When the emotions come in and the heart comes in, then it takes it to a whole new level because now you are wide open not only for a relationship but to be influenced. This is why Paul warns Christians, don't be yoked together, teamed up with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? And the answer is none. It's impossible. Light cannot fellowship with darkness. They can't coexist. And it's that distinct. He's saying, don't be yoked together, Christians, teamed up with those who are not. Now, see, this is not an acquaintance friendship. This is a close friendship, and it matters way more. It's much stronger. That's the yoking he's talking about. When you're yoked, when two animals are yoked, they can't get away from each other. They're yoked together. Now, for those of you who who know nothing about farming, a yoke was a device that joined two animals to a single plow. You have a plowman. You have the farmer. He's got a vision for the field. He's got something he wants happening in this field. And so he brings two animals together. He yokes them together, and then he begins to lead them to plow up the field in the direction that he wants them to go. And Paul said, it's wrong if you as a believer who are under a master who has a plan for the field of your life, To be yoked up with someone who cannot begin to identify with that. As a matter of fact, God commanded his people in the Old Testament to never yoke together an oxen and a donkey because the two of them had completely different natures. He said, if you want to plow a field, better for you to get one oxen to pull that plow than you try to put two together that are of different natures because the donkey would typically bite at the ox snap at the ox, refuse to do the will of the master, would kick against and pull against where he's wanting to take them. In other words, the donkey sabotaged and hindered the will of the master and the ability of that oxen to do the will of the master. The donkey would sabotage the job and that this is an Old Testament typology that has a New Testament truth. And the New Testament truth is, don't you as an oxen, the, the oxen typifies the believer, the donkey, the lost. He says, don't you as an oxen who are now servile and, and, and you are pliant and you want to do the will of the plowman, you want to do the will of the master, you're trying to plow the field, you're wanting to do what's right, but you've got a donkey at your side. Don't look at, now, I'm not talking about your marriage. Look up at me. <laughs> because like I said, that's another subject. I'll deal with that another day. But see, when it comes to a friend, when it comes to a friend, when it comes to a romance, when it comes to being, being hooked up, yoked to by close friendship, 
by emotional investment, a donkey. He says, don't be unequally yoked to an unbeliever. He's not talking about not having the right kind of chemistry for friendship. He's not talking about not getting along. He's talking about being on a BFF level, best friends forever level, with someone who doesn't share your faith, who kicks against the will of the master, Jesus Christ, in their own lives and can't begin to understand yours. Close friendships. Say, well, Jeff, I'm in love. And, and I, will, I will save them. Listen, can I pop your bubble today? Can I, can I just meddle for a minute? The Bible says, who are you, O man, that you will save your wife? And who are you, O woman, that you will save your husband? In other words, you are not their savior. Uh, uh, you're hooked on a feeling, but that feeling will go. The thrill is gone, the blues singer said. The thrill is gone. There's one day you wake up and, and the thrill is gone and you realize that, that, that you've got a donkey. At your side. God understands the power of a close friendship better than we do. And you know who else understands it? The devil does. God knows the power a close friendship will exert over your life. Listen to this. Um, He knows that we will become a whole lot like who we run with. The Bible says this, Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise will become wise. Did you hear that? You want to be wise? Find somebody wise and start hanging around them. Whoever walks with fools, now a fool is somebody who rejects God's word and God's ways. That's what the Bible calls a fool. Whoever rejects God's word and God's ways. So if you walk with fools, you're going to suffer harm. That's the power of a close friendship. If I befriend a wise person, I'm going to end up wiser. They looked at the disciples and they said they, they discerned that they had been with Jesus. How did they know those disciples had been with Jesus? Because they had such wisdom. They had such grace. Jesus had rubbed off on them. They hung around him three and a half years. You can't hang around with any better. This is why King David wrote, I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. Conversely, if I befriend a fool, I'm going to experience harm. I could have a show of hands here and I could raise my own. I'll I'll tell you this. The most destructive times in my life happened after I hooked up with the wrong people. And some of you parents know exactly what I'm talking about. Your teenager is doing great. They're making great grades. They're living clean. They're going to church. And all of a sudden, you notice a change in them. And you can't put your finger on it. And you don't know what it is. But something is changing. They're darker. They're pulling away from you. They're staying out late at night. They're showing rebellion against your rules. And you can't understand what's wrong. And then soon, you connect the dots and realize they have started running with a different crowd. And you know that you can attribute the problem to a different crowd. That crowd is rubbing off on them. That crowd is affecting them. Conversely, you can have a young person who's in all kinds of trouble, but then they start changing. They start saying, yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. They start doing what you say. Their whole attitude changes. You say, what in the world has happened to you? Oh, I started running around with this church group at Turning Point. Let me tell you something. 
On, on Wednesday nights, I pull up over here, and I see a whole slew of kids from this neighborhood all walking over to come to youth group. They walk over together. And you think those parents aren't happy to see them walking off to church? Oh, yeah. You're going to pick up the bad habits of people you run with. Don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people. Bad temper is contagious, Solomon wrote. Bad temper is contagious. Drug use is contagious. Cursing is contagious. A bad attitude is contagious. You will learn their ways and get a snare to your soul. You literally pick up the habits of who you run with. Now, if you say, well, Jeff, I am so strong spiritually. I can run with anybody I want to. I'm not going to get in trouble. Then you're uh, disagreeing with the Bible. Because listen to what it says. Don't let anybody fool you. Bad companions ruin good character. The Message Bible says don't even hang around people like that. Acquaintances, close friends. Choose them wisely. Now, let me talk about the flip side and godly friendships because this is the best part. Because everything we've looked at as far as bad ones is true of good ones. To the same degree the wrong kind of friendship is damaging, a godly friendship is a blessing. When a godly friendship comes into your life, it'll change your life forever. Listen to what Proverbs 27.17 says. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens the countenance of a friend. Now, the phrase sharpens the countenance is very powerful. Anytime you read the Bible about something being sharpened, it's usually in a preparedness or readiness context, like a sword being sharpened for war or an axe being sharpened for the cutting down of a tree. And the whole idea, we talk about the cutting edge. We talk, athletes talk about being in the zone or having the cutting edge. That, that's what this is. You're either sharp or you're dull. The opposite of sharp is dull. And if you're sharp, it's a positive. I want the cutting edge spiritually. I want to be spiritually sharp, discerning, strong, mighty, victorious, sharp. But the opposite is dull, and Jesus talked a lot about dull. He talked about people dull of hearing. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. That's dull. Dull spiritually, you don't discern. You're, you're a fool for every sham and scam that comes down the road. You're not up on things. You're never reading your Bible. You're not sharp. So here's what he's telling us. A godly friendship literally helps remove spiritual dullness. And instead, you sharpen one another spiritually. When two godly friends get together and talk, their conversation, which flows out of a mutual commitment to Jesus Christ, sharpens each other's character and their walk with God. And it imparts wisdom when you're with the godly. Just last week, I, I got with a couple of guys um, who are very, very committed spiritually, very committed to Jesus Christ. And we had lunch and we sat there for two hours. And we just talked. There wasn't any agenda. We just talked. But I walked away knowing 
that things were said that stuck with me and sharpened me, things about prayer life, things about getting into the Word, things about this and that and the other. They're just The godly, it's just going to come out of a heart that is filled with Jesus, and when you're with them, they sharpen you. And it says it will literally brighten your face with a godly countenance. Now, you might be wondering, well, Jeff, how do I get such a friendship? I would love a friendship like this. How do I get it? Let me quickly give you two things. You must be intentional, number one. You must be intentional. The Bible says a man who has friends say must, 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 must. That's intentional. You must be a friend. You can't sit in your living room and say, God, give me a godly friend and expect God to drop one down the chimney or they're going to come knocking on your door. It says, ask and it shall be given you. Then you go out seeking, you will find. And then go knocking and it will be opened unto you. So you've got to intentionally look for a godly person to become friends with. Look for people who love God. Look for people who are committed to the Lord, who go to church regularly, who genuinely seek to please the Lord in their lifestyle. And then befriend them. Pray for a godly friendship. You've got to be intentional. Second, you've got to be relational. You've got to. Having found them, spend time with them. Be relational. Fellowship with them. Get to know them. Relate with them. Look at this with me. If, 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 if I have an iron sword and I find somebody else with an iron sword, it's not enough for me to say, well, I found somebody else with an iron sword. No, if I'm going to have my sword sharpened by their sword, we've got to come into contact. I wish I had a sword up here. We've got to come into contact or there's no sharpening. We must be in relationship. You can't sharpen one another unless you're together. The Bible calls this fellowship. It was a key feature of the early church. There's no such thing as an island, a Christian being an island in the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the fellowship. There was so much fellowship going on, they just called it the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The Bible literally commands us to cultivate godly relationships for our very own spiritual safety and security. Hebrews 3.13, speak to each other about these things, the things of God, every day, while there is still time so that none of you will become hardened against God, being blinded by the glamour of sin. If you want to keep from being bedazzled by what the world offers, get with totally sold-out believers and sharpen each other's sword. And we're to walk in godly friendships particularly as the coming of Jesus draws near. Let us not neglect our church meetings as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. So can we stand together? I want you to say with me, be intentional. Be relational. I want to ask you a question. Close with this simple question. I know this was a a, a searching word. Um, I have failed in this. I'll be the first to tell you. I've hooked up with people that were just wrong for me. And you know what? You always pay a price, and I've learned. You're not looking 
for eye candy. You're looking for soul food. Right? I mean, eye candy is nice. But boy, there's some eye candy. There is poison in the middle of that thing. You want somebody who's good for your soul. So let's pray together. Father, we've heard a searching word today. It searched me to study it, and it searched the congregation to hear it. But, Lord, you know that I love them, and I share the word so that there's less tears, less suffering, less bad decision-making. Now, today, I want to know, is your best friend Jesus? Have you vertically come to know him? Because all of this starts right there. It starts right there. It's Jesus in your heart. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to tell you he loves you and I love you. And he wants into your life. But you're going to have to open the door. Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock, said Jesus. If anyone hears my voice, and you're hearing it right now, and opens the door, I will come into him, sup with him, and he with me. And I don't know everybody here today, but I do know that more than likely there's some who don't know the Lord personally. And you can do it today. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer, a very simple prayer. And then if you've drifted from him, and in drifting from him, you also drifted from the kind of friendships you should have. And this word is spoken to you, and you want to come back into the epicenter of his will for you. And you want to surround yourself with godly friendships. I'm going to pray a prayer with you. So if you're in that first group, and you're uncertain that Jesus has ever come into your heart, you want to be sure. Pray this with me. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I confess to you that I have sinned against God. And I ask you to forgive me and come into my heart as Savior and Lord. Jesus, I place my faith in you. Thank you for hearing me. Now, if you've drifted, and in drifting, you've gotten friends that have not been the best for you, pray with me. Say, Jesus, forgive me for running with people I've had to compromise to walk with. Forgive me. And, Lord, I want to come back fully right now. And I ask you to give me godly friends. In Jesus' name.